What is going on, everybody? It's episode three of Gaming and Chill. This is Derek. Let's talk some gaming news. Got a lot more gaming news this week. Last week, I was mostly an anime podcast. Today, it's going to be a lot of gaming because I have reviewed the nine minutes of leaked Pokemon Go footage. I think I've mentioned Pokemon Go every episode, so when this came out, I was thrilled. But let's do some other news first. Ubisoft and Patrice Deslitz, creative director of Assassin's Creed 1 and 2, have brokered a deal that gives Mr. Deslitz ownership of 1666 Amsterdam. I actually talked about that last week and was thinking, hey, maybe it could be an Assassin's Creed game. Turns out, it's not. So, that's um, not going to happen. But according to Engadget.com, Desolate joined THQ Montreal in 2011, where he started working on something that would become known as 1666 Amsterdam. So, right now, or then, Desolate had 1666. When THQ went bankrupt in 2012, Ubisoft bought the Montreal studio for $2.5 million, and that did include the rights to 1666. So, when Ubisoft removed Mr. Desolates from service for one reason or another, they halted development. So, since June 2013, he filed a suit partially for the rights of 1666, and as of Monday, 25th, 2016, that legal battle is over. So, that's kind of exciting. Ubisoft released rights to the project, and Desolates dropped to the suit. It may be a little while before we do see anything coming from this project, since he's currently working on Ancestors, the Humankind Odyssey, with his own studio. So, what's going to happen with 1666? No idea, but it will not be an Assassin's Creed game. So, that's kind of sad, but I'm also excited to see someone's intellectual thought property going back to the original owner, because he's going to make, try to make something good with it. Maybe in his own company. So, that's kind of exciting. So, the next piece of news, it's probably blown up the internet by now. According to Scott Games, website for the popular franchise, Five Nights at Freddy's, there will be another game. I believe it's number five. Five is the exact number. Uh, if you're not counting uh, Five Nights World, or Freddy's World. So, uh, say what you will, but uh, you know what? He knows how to whip, the Mr. Cawthon knows how to whip the uh, fan base into a frenzy. All he has to do is update his website with a singular picture, and it blows everyone's mind. Uh, if you look at their official subreddit page, there's pages upon pages of theories and fan art from one picture already. And he updates it every so often, kind of like having teaser trailers, or, or not teaser trailers, so much as like teaser images. Which those images, uh, most of the time, up until recently... If you lowered the, or I'm sorry, if you brightened it up, you revealed secret hidden messages. I don't know who, so I can't give credit to the original person, 
but they threw one of the images into a text editing program such as Notepad and gleaned hidden text from an image in a note in in, in, in a word processing software. So I'm not sure if that was intentional, if that was just random happenstance, but man, that just blew up that that page. Uh, people were going nuts over it because this is something exciting for them. And you know what? It, it's that's kind of exciting. Uh, I've not played any of the Five Nights games. I've watched every one of them. Uh, I can't play them. It's not that it's too scary or whatnot. Just, I, I can't do it. I'm not that coordinated to go, okay, here's my strategy, here, here, here. And to me, like, the, the story is more important to me. So having to get those quick glimpses of story between each night just doesn't seem that fun to me. The fun is watching somebody else play it. And I think there might be a lot of people who are on that page of, it's a lot funner to watch somebody else play it rather than themselves. So that might just be me, but hopefully not. I'll probably be end up watching it on Markiplier. That's my go-to person for the Five Nights franchise. So that should be interesting. Now, there is no release date. Not that it would really matter because um, Scott Cawthon really doesn't adhere to those dates he gives us a date and then he may release it a month early and it's a complete game there may be a small few bug fixes texture issues but they're complete games say what you will this guy knows how to make a game and hopefully it uh expands the story gives us some more interesting information uh hopefully that should be really interesting and hopefully it really doesn't make the fan base turn on itself and just becoming the toxic cesspool it was right around the release of Five Nights 4. It got really caustic and really toxic and just the subreddit, you read it and you're like, oh man, this is not good anymore because people were turning on themselves. That's a dumb theory. This year, it just became children squabbling on a playground. So, uh... That's kind of sad, but only time will tell what's going to be entailed in that game. Is it going to follow the same uh, pattern of gaming, or will it be something different? Hopefully, I'm hoping for something different, but not terribly different. Anyway, enough about that. He's going to get more publicity, more publicity later when it officially comes out. According to Polygon.com, the new Tales game will be released in America in early 2017. I believe it's Tales of Vesperia. Maybe I'm mispronouncing that. It will be released early 2017. According to the Bandai website, they're very specific that they say that the game is coming to PS4 and PC. But there is a lack of mention about the Xbox. So there is no information whether or not it's actually coming to the Xbox, whether or not that's just a, well, of course it's coming to Xbox, we just didn't mention it, or is it not because they didn't mention it? Um, that's kind of interesting. Uh, I mean, did other previous some of the previous games have been released on Xbox? So hopefully for Tales or fans of the Tales series, the people will get to play this game 
and it will be amazing. I don't think I've really been disappointed with a Tales game in as, mu in as much as itself. Uh, I remember buying Tales of Fantasia when it finally came out in America and just devouring that game. And Tales of Symphonia will always hold a special place in my heart, uh, mostly because it was so difficult to find to buy. We, we got it on, me and my brother had gotten it on Gamefly as kids, and we played it. It was on the second disc and everything, and that was great. But then when we went to college, we met a friend of ours who was, we were, we were trying to play it. And so we drove around for, I think, a weekend to go buy this game. And we ended up buying for this guy because he wanted to take it home and be able to play it with his younger brother. Um... And man, that, that game was so good. We'd sit in our dorm room just playing it all the time. Instead of doing studying, which was fine, because we still all were great students. But uh, sadly, that friend passed away several years ago. And to me, Tales of Symphonia, will all, I'll always have fond memories of playing it with him. It sounds weird, but it's one of my close friends. It was college buddy and everything. So uh, Tales of Symphonia will always be the best Tales game, regardless of how technologically advanced the other Tales games get. Tales of Zesperia is a great game in and of itself, just not as good. And that is entirely an opinion-based issue. Not based upon any other anything other than nostalgia and friends, really. <laughs> just being honest here. So, uh... Rovio, the creators of the Angry Birds franchise, has announced a new game to go with their Angry Birds movie. Now, first, I was very skeptical about Angry Birds movie. I'm not going to get too much into it or the trailer or anything. But you know what? It actually looks kind of funny. Like I said, I was really skeptical. But I'm on the fence. It could be really good or it could just be awful. Um, but they released a new game, Angry Birds Action. I believe you can already pick it up in the app stores. It is, so you, if you've played it, you know, it's no longer a 2D game, but it's vaguely 3D. Almost like a pinball feel, if that makes any sense. Like, looking at a pinball, uh, table. Pinball game. In an old arcade. That, it look, has that same look. Um, less, uh... Less pulling back of the bird and the rubber band, more of just tap and shoot, which is good. We'll see how that works in the long run. Uh, it's kind of interesting that they're switching it up, which I I applaud. Always switch it, always switch up a mechanic. If it doesn't work, you can always try something new. And let's be honest, they're not gonna be losing a significant amount of money for trying something new. Try something new at the market and see if it works if it doesn't go back and say well we tried something new let's try something else always be looking to improve now with that being said they did add some augmented reality components into the game such as like uh like scanning some of their marketing and you unlock mini games like uh like whack-a-burr whack-a-pig that sort of thing and they're planning a ton of marketing so it's going to be on things from McDonald's to movie posters to maybe even like other toys that kids can buy. 
and these unlock mini games. I'm both excited at the prospect of the augmented reality, and I'm kind of worried that it's going to become the next Minions. Um, while that movie is great and everything, I've actually recently come onto Netflix and I watched that. It just got oversaturated in the market, and then it was just like, ugh, anything yellow like a banana I want to just get rid of because I'm tired of the Minions. I'm tired of all the kids trying to mimic the Minions. It's It was funny at first, and then it stopped being funny very quickly. So hopefully we're not going to get inundated with Angry Birds. We did that for a little while, but not as bad because there was no movie. It was just a mobile game, which in and of itself was quite popular. I mean, heck, who hasn't played at least one of the Angry Birds games? So whether or not that'll affect marketing, having an augmented reality game that relies upon it, hopefully it doesn't get inundated, but hey, they're trying something new. Um, they are trying to encourage people to go see the movie. So actually to unlock one of the other main areas, you actually have to go to the theater. And somehow you're going to tell the game that they were really hazy on this. Somehow it tells the game that you're in the theater and that the game, the movie is over. So it should unlock the level. I'm not sure how that's going to work. Um, or what that means for later, late adopters. If somebody doesn't buy it and doesn't go see the movie, are they basically locking themselves out of a major content update? Or will they get to unlock it later? Such as like, oh, the movie's now hit DVD. Anybody can go to this area now. I mean, hopefully not, because that's really going to cut out a large majority of their uh, their audience. I mean, I probably won't go see it in theaters, mostly just because I don't want to go see Angry Birds in theaters. I've got a lot of other movies I already have planned to go see. A lot of them also happen to be superhero movies, but that's not the point. So, Angry Birds isn't making it onto my go-see-it-in-theater list. So, how will that affect the game for someone such as myself? Or someone who downloads it a year from now, after it's already been on DVD and out of the theater? How are they going to get to go to that other main content? Did they lock themselves out? Or is it going to be like a microtransaction of purchase the second island? That's, um... That's kind of iffy. Now, the, the other issue I have with unlocking major content by requiring people to go to the theater is that that's basically microtransactions. And it's not just like 99 cents to get 15, 20 gems or whatever. It's going to the theater theater and purchasing a ticket now i don't know about most people but i don't like to go to the movie theater by myself i will if i have to if like i'm saying okay no one's available to go with me to go see x-men apocalypse i'm going to go see it in theater in imax i will go by myself if required i don't like doing that that to me just feels like there's just something different about going to the theater and sitting and with through in the theater than on the drive back going how cool was it when x y and z 
you get to have that bonding moment after the film going, how cool was it when they used that power or when that explosion happened or that person saved the other person? It's, it's that magic. So there's a microtransaction. You're going with someone else. So say you're going, you're buying the ticket for you and your friend. Guess what? You just paid 20 bucks. Now, do you want soda? Do you want popcorn? Do you want candy? Prepare to shell out money. And that's not even going to the to the, to the uh, movie creator. We're talking about giving money to the theater for a soda, for a drink. Yeah, the ticket prices are going, royalties will go to the developer, but not all of it. So, you're, I mean, when me and my brother go, and we go IMAX XD, I can spend 25, 30 bucks for seats. We don't get candy, drink, or nothing. If I was with my wife, I absolutely would, but I'm not going to with my brother. We'll go out to lunch or something afterwards. So I paid 25, 30 bucks to go see a movie. Say we went and seen the Angry Birds movie for the exact same price. Now we have to go and deal with the crowd, uh, getting seats, getting tickets, driving, because the best place is near the mall. So now we're going to the mall. Now you got to deal with kids in the theater, talking, coughing, sneezing, going up, getting up and going to the bathroom. That's the price you pay when you go to the theater, which that's fine with me. But I don't want to be half the force to go to the theater just to play a game. I'd rather pay the extra two, three dollars directly to that company and unlock all the content I want. I'm cool with that. <laughs> as much as I'm like, microtransactions are of the devil, I would rather do that than to give 40, 40, 50 bucks to a theater to get probably another hour's worth of content on a game. That, to me, is not a fair trade-off. I mean, maybe it is to other people, just not to me. So, let me know what you think about that. Because I would love to know how you feel about going, having to go to a theater to unlock content. Now, that that is specifically if that's what is required. Because the movie is not out yet. So, it's a major rumor, and it might be true. But we don't know yet, because the movie's not out yet. So, whether or not it'll require movie theater, don't really know. So, who knows? Exciting news. Microsoft has announced a list of backwards compatible Xbox 360 games that are now playable on Xbox One. Some notable mentions are Alan Wake, Assassin's Creed 1 and 2, Banjo-Tooie, Banjo-Kazooie, and Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. I had to add that one on there because it's technically in the Banjo series. Borderlands, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Dark Souls, Dead Space, Fallout 2 and 3, Fallout 3, Gears of War 1, 2, and 3, and Mass Effect. These are just some of the highlights, just 11 out of the 104 officially announced as confirmed backwards compatible. That list was huge. 
at 104 titles saying, hey, here's a huge chunk of games you guys can go back and play. I don't know about you, but Dark Souls in and of itself, that's a big game. Fable 2 and 3, those are really long games. Fallout 3 and then Gears of War, all of them, and Mass Effect. You're opening the door for a lot more revenue to come in. So that's a strategic move right there, and especially with Gears of War 4 coming out soon. That's just easily saying, hey, go back and play all of them on our now backwards compatible Xbox One. Go buy it so you can play the new one when it comes out, and you don't have to go and not be able to play your Gears of War. That would be something that's really, it would really stop me. Um, thankfully, I wasn't on the PS3 that long before I updated it to the PS4, so I didn't have a ton of games I was super attached to, maybe except for Skyrim. So that issue is not really a big one, but I know a lot of people that had Xbox 360 for a long time, time i mean i did at one point and then sold it now it's a different story for a different day and then i switched over to the ps the playstation ecosystem but i know people that switch directly from a 360 to an xbox one and this affects them i know bioshock was announced as being available for backwards compatibility either now or in the future that's exciting i love the bioshock series so that would almost be something that would make me th consider purchasing an Xbox. Uh, that's not in my future as of this moment. Uh, like I said last week, I'd rather do that than purchase a new PS4 Neo, as it's still called. So maybe one day in the future, depending upon how good DC Universe is, which I'm excited for. I've seen the trailer for that and was super excited know almost nothing about it didn't do any research about it but i was like dc universe i'm cool with this it could be really good it could also be really bad i mean it can happen so the dark souls developer i mentioned that they're they're working on a new ip according to an interviewer with ggn uh director hideke miyazaki said that they were focusing on making a new game rather than working on a sequel. As of this moment, there are no plans to make any sequels, spin-offs, or tie-ins. While the possibility is still there, they are not planning on it. Now, he did confirm that Dark Souls 3 will have two sets of DLC, one coming in the fall of this year and the other early 2017. So that's going to give people who are playing the Dark Souls 3 right now time to finish the game, tear it apart, understand it, or the game tear them apart and understand them before this new DLC drops. So that's exciting. That's the way you do DLC. You give some players some time to play it, maybe, you know, analyze its super amounts, and say, so you think you understand, huh? New DLC, new weapons, new enemies, new areas. Good luck. That's exciting. That's the way you do it. And I'm glad he came out and said, hey, we don't plan on it. We're working on something new. But in the future, if somebody said, hey, you want to do a sequel or a spinoff? He's not saying no right now. 
Maybe in the future he'll say, no, not right now, but he's not sealing it behind a glass door saying, never again. So, the new Legend of Zelda game, something I am super excited for, will be released in 2017 for the Nintendo NX and for the Wii U. It was mentioned a couple years ago at an E3, and it was thought to be coming out for the Wii U. And then it was announced it was absent this year. So they're saying that next year, I'm sorry, this year's E3, so it was previously missing. This year, they're focusing on the uh, Zelda game. They're not going to really be talking about the NX. They're going to be focusing on the Zelda game, which I think they need to at this point. They've showed one trailer and then left it. They left it just hanging there. So we need to get some more information about it. Uh, I would like for them to have a release date attached to a trailer at E3. Because then that's not only announcing the release date for Zelda, but also really announcing that at least the NX will be released then. Now, I was a little bit worried that the Zelda game would be an NX exclusive title. Um, which I wouldn't mind because I don't even own a Wii U at this moment. But I am a, I'm as big a Zelda fan. I will buy the NX just for that Zelda game. Now, I'd like some other games, maybe a Metroid game, you know, if you're listening. Metroid game, that would be really awesome. A Mario game, I'd still be okay with. Uh, I'm a fan of Mario, not as big as Zelda, but uh, you put Zelda and Metroid on that, I'll buy your platform. Uh, a real Metroid game. Let's not add many gimmicks about the new... Metroid DS game. Um, I seen that trailer and it did not look good. It looked um very similar to the Metroid Prime Hunters that was released on first generation DS. So maybe let's try to upgrade the graphics. Maybe let's go. Hey, if you put even if you put all the Metroid Prime series on the NX, I, I'd probably still buy it. So, I mean, hey, I can't complain about that. Now, they are talking about the Zelda game. It's going to be huge. I'm personally hoping for something a little bit bigger than the Skyrim map. Have some big dungeons that are really puzzling dungeons. Not just they take you 15, 20 minutes to run through and you're good. Uh, I'd like them to be really challenging, but not water temple challenging, if you know what I mean. Uh, in my opinion, the Zelda game series has been kind of in a slump. Uh, I played the recent Triforce Heroes, and it felt like a weak, watered-down version of Four Swords Adventure, which, that was in and of itself an amazing game. Uh, and that was really good. Triforce Heroes, it did, It felt like they were trying to mimic that feeling, but it didn't make it. Mostly just because it felt like to actually make a difference, you actually had to go and farm levels, which isn't what Zelda's about. Maybe I missed the whole point of the whole game, but it just didn't feel as good playing it because it was very linear. It felt like you were on a train track, and which is funny because Spirit Tracks was 
kind of linear, but not, even though it was quite literally on train tracks. It felt like Triforce Heroes was just chugging along, forcing you down a singular path, not really letting you explore. So that's really what I'm hoping to bring back to, or what I hope they bring back to the Zelda series, is exploration. As a kid, I played a lot of uh, Link to the Past. So much exploration. Even though it was a small map, it was always finding something new. Uh, now, that was me as a kid thinking the map was 1,000% bigger than it actually was. But I want something actually legitimately huge. Uh, I want to be able to have to have to really consider where I'm going and just being able to wander around. Make it a lot like Skyrim. Make it huge. Make it just random. Like, you can be walking through the forest and there is a cave. It may not be a dungeon cave, but it's a cave. Make it explorable and make it really interesting that you're not just trucking from one point to point other point. You know? Let's try it. So, the last news before I talk about the beta footage, which is going to take a while, because I actually broke it down a lot. There is a new mobile market for gaming. I bet you didn't know that. Um, you know, psh, mobile phones, there's something new. The gaming market? Psh, what games on phones? Um, <laughs> but there may actually be a chance that games that were traditionally on the DS might actually be making it over to the mobile market, which some games will translate better for that and other than others. Uh, they are actually speculating they might be able to make a Fire Emblem game for the mobile market, which will be really cool. Uh, I've been recently playing the old Fire Emblems, and they're great games. Be really great on my phone. I would love that. The other game that they're... They, actually mentioned by title that I'm really excited for is Animal Crossing. I'm a huge fan of Animal Crossing. A lot of people don't realize that, but I grew up playing that game. I watched, I played it. I watched my mom play it. And it was something that was interesting to me, going and meeting animal friends, going fishing, having to be a go-getter in order to have fun with this game. And it was great. I remember playing it for hours upon hours upon hours. And I would be excited if that was on my phone. Being able to take it on vacation and say, hey, I got 10 minutes while everybody's out. I'm going to go fishing on my phone. Now, it's just as easy pulling out the 3DS. But there's just something about having it on my phone and always having that connectivity. To being able to not have to sit there and go... Do I have Wi-Fi to go visit someone's town? If I have the data through my carrier, I can go visit someone's town over 4G. Which, that is everywhere. Wi-Fi is not yet. So that was the limiting factor for it. And let's be honest, I really want something with one screen. Just so that I can just play the game right there. I know it's interesting having the map up, or your inventory up, or anything like that. But I don't want that up all the time. I'm not always actively looking at the map. Especially later on once you start getting to know the town. Where your animals are. Where your museum is. 
that'll be really interesting if they actually make the jump. If they officially announced between now and September, that actually may affect what type of phone I get when I get to upgrade. Because right now I'm looking at something that's like the Edge 7. It's got a big screen, but not a huge screen. If they said, hey guys, guess what? We're making Animal Crossing for the mobile market. You can now buy it on your phones and tablets. I would consider getting something as big as the Note. Something with a little bit of bigger screen. That way I can maximize my effort playing an Animal Crossing game in any games coming out. Because right now, let's be honest, Mitomo is not selling it for me. I downloaded Mitomo. I liked it. And then I didn't. It just didn't hold my attention. And that was Nintendo's first dip into the pool, as it were, of will do we have an, a market? And I gotta be honest, even though I'm not a humongous, like, me person, as in M-I-I, me, from the Nintendo Wii, I downloaded it for one reason. Nintendo put it out. I wanted to give it a try. There was a, there was a few issues with that one app, that if they tried to carry it over into other games, that might hinder it. And that issue is the way Nintendo views how to be friends with somebody on their systems. With the 3DS, you got to have this long digit code just to be friends with them, just to play games with them. For the Wii, it's kind of the same thing. For Mitomo, it was like, hey, you have to be friends with them on Facebook or Twitter. Okay, that's fine. I'm friends with most people, but okay. And the other option was like this Bluetooth pairing of match the symbols that's on your friend's phone and they'll match your symbol. That's backwards. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'd like to be able to just say, hey, I'm okay with like a small identifying number or even a QR code. Scan it, boom, done. Or since it's on the mobile market, have an app specifically for Nintendo friends. Like a social media. But you post nothing. You do nothing else. But you can send friend requests and say, hey, let me look you up on the Nintendo social network. That's it. Boom. I looked you up by name. Added you as a friend. Now, across any other games, I can now play with you. I pull up Animal Crossing. I can play that. Fire Emblem, I can play that. Mitomo, we're friends on that now. So it kind of helps cross over. That's something that I would really, really like to see for a Nintendo mobile game. Because I understand why they done it, of like trying to keep their games family friendly. But at the same time, I'm, I, I feel like I, I'm an adult. I should be able to play games with really whoever I want. Maybe having a plaza, a Nintendo Animal Crossing plaza, where you can just go and there are people who are literally running around. Think of like a city in World of Warcraft or Guild Wars. You're just able to run into random people. You don't have to chat with them, but you see them. So in that environment, you can meet new people and invite them to your town. That's it. That's the way you fix that issue. So if you have any ideas on how to how you would like to see what 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 kind of games you would like to see for mobile market or how you would like to fix 
current Nintendo mobile ideas, friending ideas, hit me up on Twitter. I'd love to know. I'd really like to know what kind of games you would be interested in playing in the mobile market. Games that I haven't even thought about that would be really exciting. So, I'm thinking Animal Crossing, Pokemon, um, maybe even like a Mario or a Mega Man. That would be pretty cool. Um, I would really like a Mega Man, but I'm terrible at Mega Man, but I'd really like one. Maybe something Battle Network. Bring back the Battle Network series. It's on your phones. How cool would that be? Just a thought. I literally randomly came up with that on top of my head. Because I have no notes about that. So, before I go into my long spiel, I want to talk about some anime. Not a whole lot. Um, now, the spring season has started, and as such... A lot of anime is already in their fourth or fifth episode. Uh, and I said I was gonna, if they were new, I was going to talk about them if they're three episodes or less. So I was like, well, the spring season started most everything getting into the four or five episode range. So what should I talk about? So I decided to start hitting the, the random button on Crunchyroll. Um, that helps me prevent just... And I was like, okay. That, that stops me from... I don't want to watch it because that cover art doesn't grab me as much as this cover art, or that cover art is better, or that name isn't more interesting. So I hit the random button. If I had heard of it, I hit the random button again. If I hadn't, I watched it, and then I was like, okay, cool. So I hit the random button, and really the first thing I pulled up was Sword Art Online. I was like, great, awesome, this is off to a great start. Hit the random button again. So I hit the random button, out came this really good anime. I was actually really surprised that I got something that was actually pretty good, right off the bat. It is Natsume Yujincho Shi. Takashi, Takashi Natsume continues to return the names of the spirits that have been written in the Book of Friends he inherited from his grandmother, Raiko Natsume. While Natsume is still aided by the chubby Nako-sensei, he's now helped by some of his friends he had made in his journey, be it human beings or spirits. As he becomes closer to both, Natsume faces the inevitable question of the sides he has to take, especially when there's a conflict between these two. So it's a continuation of a different anime. I'm not entirely aware of what anime that is. If you know, please let me know. But it's actually really good. Uh, watched the first episode actually this morning, and uh, you know what? I really can't complain about it. It was pretty good. Relied solely upon storytelling. It wasn't all action, violence, nudity, anything like that. It was just storytelling, which is really good. Now, I also did look up some an interesting anime. Well, technically it's an anime, but technically it's also not. It is considered the first. Japanese animation, and it is called, I didn't lose the title, Katsudo Shashin. It is a four-second animation consisting of 50 frames. There's a little boy, he rates the name of the anime, takes off his hat and bows, and that's it. Now, it may not seem like much, but that is widely considered the first few seconds of Japanese animation to have ever existed. There was a few other animated pieces, but nothing as 
quite as uh, that was on film. Uh, I actually pulled it up on YouTube and watched it, and I was like, that is really simple and elegant and only 50 frames, and it's the first few seconds of Japanese animation. This is a piece of history. So if you're an anime buff, go look it up. It's quite kind of some uh, some interesting history. So, for what I'm sure you're all here for, it's the Pokemon Go beta footage. If you haven't seen it, hopefully you can still find it and it hasn't been pulled down. I watched it on CNET, so if it's still there, great. Awesome. So let's talk about it. Um, I'm going to break it down bit by bit and talk about it. It shows some character development and a few other things. The character development, it seems to have eight options as of this moment for the male character. Hair, face, eye color, hat, shirt, pants, shoes, and backpack. Um, you clicked on the icon and you got to scroll through different sets of pants. Didn't look like you got to customize color, just the five, six things that you got to choose from. Now, because it was the male avatar, I'm not sure if there's different accessories for the female avatar. Or even if you can cycle through and choose long hair as a male avatar or short hair as a female avatar. I don't know this, and there's going to be, that's a phrase you're going to hear me say a lot. I don't know. Mostly because this is beta footage. There's nothing definitive. There's actually no, like, help to tip screens on this. So, there may be a lot of information that we're not getting that the beta testers did, and that's just fine. Because we weren't in the beta. Someone else who's a lot more lucky than us got to be the beta. So after character creation, there's naming your character. You can name it pretty much whatever you want, I'm assuming. And after that, the footage immediately jumps into what looks like a pastel map. It has like some roads and some grassy area. Now there was no hint whether this was actual GPS data or generic pre-rendered map. Um, because we don't get to really see what the person is also looking at, I don't know how close those match up. I'm hoping it's GPS data from some of the other stuff in the game. In the footage, I should say, it does look like it is actual GPS data, but don't really know. Now, they open up some uh, menus, and they see some stats, such as how far you walked, your Pokédex, how many catches you have, the Pokémon you've evolved, the number of eggs hatched, encounters, and Pokéstop visits. So all of those are pretty normal stuff, except the Pokies stop. So I'm thinking, and this is pure speculation, that the Pokie stops are landmarks. The game creators are the people, same people who made Ingress, a very popular GPS-based game, where you got to go to landmarks in your local area and basically fight for domination. So I'm thinking that that's possibly what the pokey stops are once again no clear identifications to what those are and he doesn't pull this up a second time or a third time so can't even really tell how many pokey stops pokey stops he's been to so that could be it could be something else entirely uh so that's going to be interesting how that works uh 
going through my notes. Other indications that there, there is levels with this in this game, and you can join a team. Your actual character can level up, not just your Pokemon. And then also it has a team affiliation. So that's kind of interesting. Then they do show a gym. And when you enter the gym, it gives you a slight explanation that you it gives you this explanation of the gym. And this is or this is quotations. To control this gym, you must pit your skills and your Pokemon in battle against others. Three teams compete for control of gyms. You must choose to join one of the teams before you battle. Awesome. That's cool. It then gives you three choices. Blue, red, or yellow. Those are your teams. No other dialogue telling you, hey, red is for the people with fiery passion for Pokemon, blue is for this, or yellow is for that. It just goes, pick a color. Hopefully, um, this is just because it's in a beta and they're not wanting to give a lot of flavor text. I'm hoping that's it. I hope they really do give more flavor text. So... Now, after that, it really doesn't show a lot of detail regarding the gym, but it does show that the player may have acquired a Geodude somehow. So then the, the player arrives at a local landmark, a small stack of rocks, apparently, is a local landmark, and they acquire several items and one Pokemon egg. So that's exciting of how you acquire an egg. The player then opens up the menu and examines the egg, and it shows that the player needs to walk one kilometer before the egg hatches. Now that's a nice break from the other games requiring a certain number of steps, but it also tells you exactly how far you need to go before it hatches, not just this ambiguous number. Now when the player closes the menu, it shows that there's a Porygon nearby, which is kind of ironic that a Porygon is nearby for a digital game. Just my thoughts. When the player got close enough, it switches to a camera view, and you can see like the pavement as they're walking up to it, then they panned up, and there's a Porygon right there. It did look a little out of place, just because it's floating over a flat surface, but it looked weird, but it still looked really good for beta footage. Now, the player does immediately go into throwing a Pokeball, and it catches the, po the Porygon. So there was no battle, just flinging a Pokeball and moving on. Um, I'm hoping there's other battles, not really sure the, even the mechanic for catching it. Because, like, there's a circle, a green circle, and uh, sometimes it's yellow. And I'm not sure what that means, if that means you have to aim within that circle or what. But uh, it looks pretty simple, just fling a Pokeball and go. I'm hoping there's actual battles, though. Uh... Now, when the information plate pops up, it does show that Porygon does have a moveset. So, under what circumstance that's used, no idea, but it does have moves. Now, on the map screen, because they closed down that, on the map, there's a small plate panel, information panel, in the bottom right corner that shows the Pokemon that are in the area. So, you'll know what you can catch and what you should be looking for. That's exciting, so you're not just wandering around on a map going, where am I going? It shows you, hey, maybe there's these three Pokemon. Maybe you want to go look for them. I don't know. So that's exciting so that you can see, especially with someone like me who's downtown a lot, of what Pokemon are in the area. 
are they worth going out and going on a trek to go find a rare Pikachu? Or do I have that Pokemon over and over? So that's kind of interesting. Now, he uh, he does encounter a Vulpix, and once again, no battle, just flinging Pokeballs, and it moves on. Now, if you're a fan of Pokemon, you know that Vulpix needs a stone to evolve. The Firestone, very particularly. So, when it pulls up the information plate for Vulpix, it shows that the Pokemon has a single evolution shard. What that means? I have no idea. Um, and you'll see that later, and I'll actually discuss that more later. Uh, so, that's something to look into. Uh, it's also the same way when he goes and catches a Magnemite. Because he goes from battle to battle. And he catches a Magnemite, and it has the same evolution shard. Now, when he visits the local library that acts as a landmark again, that's a little bit better. It does net the player more items. So as they're going to local landmarks, they get items. That's exciting. Now, it looks like he opens up a menu. And then he just goes into a battle against Geodude. And he can actually use moves. But you don't see the moves on the screen. So I'm not sure how you're selecting moves or anything like that. I think it might have been a gym battle. But I'm not entirely sure... Like I said, there's no real text pointing out what's going on, so that's kind of sad. I really wish I knew more, but I don't. But the battle scenes, it looked pretty interesting. So, the player can also turn, choose to turn on and off the camera and battle the Pokemon in a pretty generic field. It looks like the fields you would use during battle for Pokemon X, Pokemon Y, any of the actual games. Now, there's no indication whether or not that's based upon your GPS data. If I'm out on the middle of a boat in the middle of the lake and I catch a water Pokemon and I go into battle against it, am I going to be on a water background or will I be in a green field? That might be something that's kind of irritating depending upon how they do that. I am exciting that they, excited that they, turn, they have the option to turn off GPS data or the camera because I don't always want to particularly look downtown to catch Pokemon. Uh, that's a big draw for me uh, as a fan and as truly a, heart a, ch uh, a child at heart. So I want to see Pokemon in my environment. But sometimes you might just want to be able to turn off the camera and say, Nope, I'm just playing on my phone. So that's kind of cool. Now the player does open their menu again. And, it, and they can hatch a Pokemon. Which they hatch right into a Poliwog. Uh, the Pokemon that does ex evolve with experience, leveling up, but it also shows an evolution shard. So I'm I'm not sure if that just means the Pokemon can evolve, or what it requires. Is that going to mean you have to catch the Poliwog multiple times to get more evolution shards to evolve, or what's going to happen? Not really sure on that. Uh. Hopefully, it just means you, as you level up, you get more shards. Hopefully, because I don't want to have to go catch the same Pokemon multiple times just to evolve it. Now, from the footage, because they also hatch another egg, which hatches into a Pikachu, it appears as though the Pokemon are going to be based upon the original 151. Because it hatches into a Pikachu, 
from generation two forward, Pikachu doesn't hatch from an egg. A Pichu hatches from an egg. So, what's happening there? I think it's just based upon the 151. Uh, and hatching eggs did occur in Generation 2, but, you know, 151, it's got to be there. I'm hoping that we get more, because I like some Pokemon that are outside of that 151, but only time will tell. Now, that raises five questions for me. That's, this is wrapping it up, because they just showed a lot of battles and things. So, five questions. Is there going to be text describing the differences in the team, or are you just choosing based upon the color you like? I really hope there's more text describing the teams, but if it's just the colors, I already know which color I'm going to go for. Red. It's the game, Pokemon color game I played first. I played Pokemon Red, and my brother played Pokemon Blue, we traded back and forth, and some of our friends borrowed our games, and but Red has that place in my heart for me, because, well, Red is where I started. That's where I started on my trip of uh, Pokemon. Question number two. How exactly do gyms work? And can a player establish their own gym? I want to be able to establish a gym at my <laughs> where I work. I work in a huge office downtown and be able to say, I have this gym in this building. That would be really cool. Which does raise the question of, will they also be taking elevation into effect? Uh, if I walk into the lobby of a building, will it say I'm able to encounter Pokemon that are higher up? Um, I don't want it to be exclusive, but I think that the higher elevation you are, you shouldn't have ground Pokemon. You should have like flying Pokemon. That would be kind of cool, or if they had, like, you, you could tell you're in a building that you have Pokemon that would be found in an office building. That would be kind of cool. Either way, that would be cool. Those are your free ideas. Number three, how is evolving and leveling up going to work? And will a person be able to uh, deny evolution to a given Pokemon? Say I don't want to evolve my Charmander. Will I be able to say, no evolution for you? and they just get to hang out as a Charmander, or is evolution something going to be forced upon them? No idea. Number four, how are microtransactions going to work? Will the player have to buy Pokeballs or other items? I don't. I hope they don't have microtransactions, but uh, we know it's going to happen. We just know it's going to happen. And will we get further Pokemon past the 151? Like I said, I am a huge fan of uh, some of the later Pokemon as well. But uh, I really want I, I really want to get like a Cyndaquil, sort of that sort of thing. So I'm hoping that after Go launches and maybe a year down the road they decide, hey, let's go past the 151, why don't we? That would be exciting. So there's my five questions for my Pokemon Go footage. If you've seen the footage and you saw something else, hey, let me know. You can find me at Twitter. See how I did that? Right into the uh, right into the end, end plate, basically. Anyway, <laughs> you can find me at Bad Wolf Studios. Bad underscore Wolf Studios at Twitter.com. So, you can find me there. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, just by searching Bad Wolf Studios.
Now, if you do want to tweet at me, I've changed up the hashtag. It's now Gaming and Chill. Game and Chill was being used for a lot of other things. Gaming and Chill literally had no other tweets. So, Gaming and Chill, and I'll be able to search your questions right there. So, if you have any questions or suggestions of what you think I should talk about, if you're thinking, hey, you're talking too much about anime, or hey, you're talking about too much games, or you didn't discuss my favorite game, how dare you, sir? I want to know about it. Now, I did talk a lot about Pokemon. There is a Pokemon game coming out. However, movies are not my discussion point, mostly. However, I do have good friends of mine that do talk about movies, and as so happens, they talked about a Pokemon movie, possibly in the works, a live-action movie. So you should go check them out by looking up the Film Slate podcast at iTunes. Or you can also find them on Twitter at the Film Slate Pod, and you can even tweet at them using their name. They talk a lot about movies. They actually discuss the Pokemon live-action movie possibility. Uh, so that's also really exciting, uh, something I'm looking forward to. So there is my podcast. I hope you guys liked it. Be sure to leave a review and some five stars up on iTunes. I appreciate that. It helps me determine, hey, is this really going so well? Is it not? So make sure to leave some love there. And uh, until next time, keep gaming, watch some anime. Hey, why not?